It's the NFL preseason. Check out the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you need fantasy rankings, we've got our rankings and sleepers at fantasyfootball.theringer.com. So come listen to Danny Heifetz, Craig Horlbeck, and me, Danny Kelly, on the Ringer Fantasy Football Show. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Stay mage and enjoy yourself. Wrestling. Oh boy, I am very, very excited about this. It is Cheap Heat, the world's number one sports and recreation podcast. And normally on a week where I have vacation, I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to cover everything that's going on. Not today. Not today. I'm not worried. No, no. Today, this is an interview I have been counting down to for some time. Brian Gewertz, who wrote the book. Uh, his new book, There's Just One Problem. It's a phenomenal book, okay? It is coming out August 16th. It is available for pre-order right now, uh, but it comes out August 16th. It is fantastic. I couldn't recommend it more, and we're going to talk to him right now on Cheap Heat. Honest to God, not just saying this for the guest's edification, this is about as excited I could as I could be to have a conversation about wrestling in a historical context, if you will, at least a recent historical context. And that is with uh, the author of There's Just One Problem, True Tales from the former one-time seventh most powerful person in WWE, Brian Gewertz. Brian, welcome to Cheap Heat. How are you? Let's clap it up for Brian, by the way. Yeah. All right. Full clap? Oh, wow. You don't get this every day from SGG. You don't. Now, SGG, I know there was one question about the title that you wanted to ask Brian off rip. I did. I want to jump right out the gate with it. You, seven is a very specific number. So can we get the six people who were more powerful than you when you were in WWE? 
So Vince you know, obviously is one. Yeah, I mean, look, this is it, it's a little, you know, it's a little unofficial. I, I will say this: I there was there was a I won't I won't use the verboten term uh, dirt sheet for so far be it from me to call it anything that. But there was a wrestling newsletter that, um, <laughs> that used to rank the most influential people in wrestling, which is which always I always found amusing because there's really like I mean scientifically there's no true way they could do that they could conjecture it or assume or what have you. But to have the definitive rankings, I thought was always funny. So one year I was in fact seventh on this list. Um, <laughs> wow. In front of Triple H, by the way, which which, which has never been the case in any <laughs> year of me being in WWE. So, you know, yeah, I thought that was, um, you know, seven seemed like like that was like proud enough to, for it to be kind of bragging, but not too proud to be an asshole about it. <laughs> I, which, which, by the way, I got to tell you, Brian, like I know I've, I've texted you and told you I, I'm really loving the book and I'm just full disclosure for our audience. I am a slow reader. Okay. I'm not a good reader. Just being honest. I, fi I don't finish books often. I start them and don't finish. And the ones that I do finish are almost always wrestling, wrestling books. books. <laughs> um, but I'm 60 pages. I'm the first 60 pages into this book, and I'm so excited to take it on vacation with me next week because it's one of those ones that I find so fun to be in that I don't even want it to go quickly. Um, so is this did you know that this format of writing this book would really work well to your skill set because you feel very comfortable writing in the way that you do in this book? Well, thanks. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like one of those things that kind of. Uh, kind of organically, kind of organically discovered. Like, like I would listen, for instance, I would listen to Bruce Pritchard uh, when we were at WWE on the road together, tell his stories and for years, you know, in, in cars while waiting for meetings, um, you know, what have you. And then he launched his podcast and it became hugely successful. And I'm like, that's, that's an afternoon with Bruce. I used to hear that every single day. So like that kind of like, you know, got me thinking like, well, I, I've, I've told these stories to friends and stuff over the years. Um, I kind of have, it's almost like a comedian set list, you know, in terms of the <laughs> right. you know, stories that I've told and everything. So I'm like, you know what, why not? Like um, there are a lot of books like this that like, you know, tell these individual stories that are kind of loosely connected, but not necessarily like a straight narrative as far as this happened and that happened and that happened. Um, and I've always found those fun, you know, whether it was like, you know, Cousin Sal's book about his gambling exploits. Um, you know, there are a bunch of wrestling books. There's some baseball books. Um, so, yeah, I always found that to be like a comfortable format to essentially take, you know, the greatest hits that I've, you know, lived through from, you know, 1999 to 2015 um, and, you know, just organize it and put it in, uh, you know, book form. I mean, that part of it was new, but. Yeah, it was it was something I thought I could do. You talk a lot about, you know, your difference, your differences sort of personality wise from the superstars backstage. Um, and you talk a lot about, you know, social anxiety and, and just being generally sort of awkward uh, to some degree. And I guess as someone who myself, you know, I started showing up to work there in my late 30s as like a really realized, not really, a somewhat realized adult 
And after spending 15 years in the in the hip hop world, which can be pretty you know tough as well, I still felt intimidated at times showing up. So I guess I'm just curious, seeing that as we come from the same awkward Ashkenazic Jewish blood, did how did you in your 20s already being sort of a socially anxious person survive the first few years of everything deciding who you're going to eat with and catering and just moving around all of that stuff it's like a it's like going to high school again but like everyone's a big tough jock or beautiful woman yeah no it wasn't it wasn't necessarily easy you know for me because i usually you know well first of all you know as chris jericho's pointed out many times um you know when he first saw me he was with ron simmons and Ron Simmons said, hey, who let that kid back here? Somebody call security. Um, and so like that was kind of the, you know, the, the, the mode I was dealing in because, again, I'm not like WWE, as you know, is very much introduce yourself, shake people's hands, make eye contact. Uh, and that's obviously not just WWE, but is especially WWE. <laughs> so, very much so. And I was just like, I'm always from the like, um, you know, put your head down. And if someone talks to you, talk back to them. Uh, not necessarily not saying that that is the correct mindset. Uh, and it's not even really the mindset now because WWE taught me a lot of things, but it certainly was then. But it was also this really like really weird, strange time. It's almost like it's almost like that Twilight Zone episode with the kid with powers who, you know, like people don't want to piss off, but also you know, could easily destroy if they, if he didn't have powers. So it's like, <laughs> I'm, like I'm 26. I, I, there are only two writers in the entire company. I'm at the, like the head table of the production meetings with Vince. I'm flying with Vince on his plane, driving with the McMahons. Um, so it's kind of like, who the hell is this guy? Uh, and in any normal natural habitat, I would be destroying this person physically and or mentally, but now I kind of can't because he's with Vince and Steph and Shane, <laughs> like practically 24 seven. And I don't want to <laughs> potentially fuck up my career. Um, sorry. I don't know if you can curse. You're on fine. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. <laughs> so yeah, that was like, it was like one of those really odd things, but then slowly, but surely as, as you guys know, and you know, the ice melts a little bit and you get, to know people and you get to know more people. And then, you know, it, it, you, you start to get comfortable and then just to start, you get comfortable, new talent comes in and you got to go through the whole process again. All over again. <laughs> yeah. So it was, yeah, it was definitely a, a learning experience. SGG. So when, when you decided you want to write this book and tell some of these stories, was there any pushback from anybody or did you have after you know 15 years with WWE you had a rapport built up where like you knew which stories you can tell and which ones we're going to save for like afternoons with Brian sort of things yeah well look look I I remember I remember distinctly um because I started so I started November 1st 1999 and there was a movie that came out literally like weeks before I started called Beyond the Mat I'm sure you guys are familiar with yeah very um and I snuck, my friends and I snuck into a screening for Beyond the Mat in L.A. right before I started. Um, wow. It was sold out. So we bought tickets to this movie, Bats. You remember the movie Bats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, we snuck into Beyond the Mat and, and we're like sitting behind, you know, I think like 
Jake Roberts family. Like we used to sneak into stuff all the time. Anyways, much easier to do back then. Much easier. Yeah. There was no assigned seating or Q and a with the filmmakers afterwards. Um, so my point in bringing up this, not in bringing up bats, there's no point in bringing up bats, but <laughs> bringing up beyond the mat is I remember the reaction within WWE when it came out, which was like, man, like we, um, we gave them incredible access. And yet this movie has, is, 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 you know, it's well done, but it, it doesn't really capture the crazy, wacky, um, you know, kind of fun backstage, as you know, Peter, like antics of WWE. It's just like, it's, it seems like this kind of like dark, dour place to work at. So like, kind of like knowing that mindset, um, you know, and obviously like when you're showing footage of like, you know, that movie, you know, it delved into, you know, Royal Rumble 99, you know, from a WWE standpoint and a lot of other, you know, serious, more serious stuff. Um, but it didn't have the proverbial and how could it, cause it didn't occur then, but like, you know, Bob Barker coming on raw live in Chicago and how that got put together and like more of like the fun type of stuff. Cause that was my intention in making this book is like, there's so many fun, incredible kind of crazy stories. Um, and it's not like whether it's like you're putting them over or you're burying them. It's like, that's like, doesn't even come into the equation. It's just like the fun stuff that happens happened to me specifically. Um, you know, mixed with the the behind the scenes true tales of like how some of these iconic angles and promos came about, you know, between Rock and Cena and, you know, plenty of, you know, WrestleMania main events and, and angles and Booker T and Goldust vignettes and, you know, just like fun stuff that I just had a blast doing. But also, you know, when I tell people the story of like the craziness of how some of these all came together, you know, I think there was you know, there was like a, we've developed, you know, between myself, Dwayne Johnson, Seven Bucks, everyone else, like a, an understanding and a trust with WWE that like, we're all, you know, part of the same extended family, even if we're not working there anymore. And, you know, intention wise, like, I think, it, you know, I made it pretty clear, like the, what the intention of this book was and the intention of, uh, you know, telling these stories were. And, and I think, you know, they understand that, and, you know, after working with me for 15 years and everything, I think they understood my mindset, um, you know, and, and, you know, everything proceeded smoothly after that. Did you directly communicate with Vince at any point about it? Um, no, I, don't, I, I, I talked, I, you know, with Steph at WWE about it, um, but I didn't necessarily, you know, um, I only see Vince. I only saw Vince, you know, when I go back and he'd be there at Gorilla and stuff. And I'd say hi to him for two seconds. But you know, I made you know the intention known. Um, and again, like once I explained what I was doing, um, you know, they understood. So it was like, you know, go off and and do your thing. What? I, I don't want this to be a full on, you know, shill WWE podcast. But that's what people think of this podcast anyway. So. What narrative, particularly in the IWC, online, frustrates you the most about WWE? Because it does seem like people's minds have been made up about what the work environment is and what everything about it is. And obviously, they're not basing that on firsthand experience. They're basing it on, you know, writers, um, talent who leaves and is unhappy, things of that nature. Is there anything that gets repeated quite a bit that you're like, that's just not my experience at all? Um, well, there were, for the for the longest time, and this is partly my fault, um, 
you know, when I when I became friends with Shane Helms, I really tried to um, amp up the comic book side of uh, myself. I didn't tell him that I stopped reading comic books in 1983 when uh, when the Flash died and Crisis on Infinite Earths. But because he was such a big fan, I would, you know, I, I went I'd go to Midtown Comics and buy some T-shirts. And all of a sudden on the Internet, I became the biggest comic book guy that ever lived. Um, <laughs> it was just like, wait a second. It's been literally 16 years. Um, but that's like kind of just, you know, that sort of thing to, to your question, to the bigger question is like, you know, sometimes things get, you know, and I'll do, and I'll talk about the writer specifically. There's a lot of times where, you know, this narrative of like, well, the writers are a bunch of yes men and nobody's afraid to speak up and they don't have any good ideas or, or even worse, like they're all rejects from Hollywood who couldn't yeah. cut it in Hollywood and come down like the writers, the writers I worked with. Yes, I, I worked with some, you know, some hacky people from Hollywood. Sure. Um, but <laughs> the the most of the writers there, especially the ones that, that, that have been there for a long time, um, are some of the most passionate, creative um, and I, dare I say ballsy people um, who've gotten into it, you know, with Vince and have gotten into it with talent. You know, not in a um, I know better than you way, but in a well, you know, I believe in this idea and I'm going to stand up for it and I'm going to tell you the reasons why I think we should try it. So sometimes and again, it's 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 always difficult when, you know, with the Internet wrestling communities, it's, it's labeled all under one umbrella because there are a lot of different voices within it. But, you know, I would say that there are some stuff when you when you read about it, like, oh, you know, well. No one is no one has the balls to challenge, you know, Vince. So, you know, him and his band of yes men are going to put out this crap, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, the, there, there's many, many reasons why an angle promo storyline happens. There's many reasons why it doesn't happen. Um, but there's a there's a band of really, really talented people uh, who work there who uh, are the furthest thing from yes men. How how soon bef- after you arrived did you become like comfortable challenging Vince and, and standing up for your ideas? Or was it something where they set the expectation going in the door that like, listen, if you believe in this, you're expected to fight for it? Well, you know, honestly, it was kind of right away um, because I always, I had this mindset when I joined. So I joined uh, WWE, excuse me, when I was 26 years old, I'd written on uh, three shows three very highly prestigious shows, <laughs> including Jenny McCarthy's sitcom on NBC. In Jenny. Yes. That, that's <laughs> of course. Of course. Um, Jenny McCarthy vehicle. That's right. Yeah. So that was, you know, and that was a learning experience because, you know, I was just like petrified to say anything in the room. Um, you know, I'd whisper, if I had a joke, I'd whisper to it, to the other writer and another writer would be like, well, yeah, that's kind of your job is to literally say it not to me, but to everybody. Um, so I like, I had a pretty, you know, and I had a big, big talking to, to the, with the showrunners, one of whom was my uncle, um, who I've always had wanted to work with. And he basically said like, listen, if, if you don't speak up, um, you know, it'll be awkward at family functions going forward, but I'm going to have to get rid of you. So <laughs> like, that mindset afterwards is like, okay, I really, if, if, if I don't go down swinging and don't step up my game, then there's no point in, in even having this job. 
So, you know, I, I, I was lucky to have that mindset, you know, in, in the shows that I worked on. And then, you know, it's kind of like this very weird thing when I started at WWE because, you know, when I write about it, it's like I always thought it would be kind of like a I'll do this for a year or two, have some funny stories to tell and then go back to Hollywood or what have you. I never thought I'd Al Bundy the thing for, you know, a decade and a half. <laughs> so, you know, at that time when I'm dealing with Vince, you know, you know, a lot of people in the company who, you know, at that point, um, you know, I'm not talking about the writers because there were just two of us back then, but just in general, um, you know, that's, that's where they had worked and that was their livelihood and that was their passion. Um, when I first started, you know, I put everything I had into it, but at the same time, I always had this mindset of like, well, look, the worst that can happen is really for your, you know, quote unquote, for your career, the best that can happen as far as like, if you go over the line and Vince says, this isn't working out and WWE says this is working out, I should, I would go back and res resuscitate my, you know, the sitcom career, which I had temporarily left, you know, and, and some people thought I was crazy to do so. So I didn't really have a problem being like, well, screw it. Clearly Vince at the time really responded to people like speaking their mind and speaking their voice. There was so little few voices to begin with because these these writers meetings, this was before Michael Hazen joined the team and before even Bruce Pritchard joined the team. They joined in February 2001. Um, so it was me, this writer, Tommy Blacha, who he himself had just started over at Conan um, to the point where, again, I like write it out in the book. I don't even remember what I was fighting, arguing about, but I got into a big time argument with Vince uh, over something uh, I don't remember in his hotel suite during WrestleMania 2000. Um, I don't remember what the hell I was arguing, but this was like, I'm, I'm half a year into the company and I'm arguing with them and I'm huffing and puffing and storming out. And then I later, I later had to go knock on his door. And, you know, I'm prompted and apologize. Not that I had to, but like once I got back into my room, and was like, who does he think he is? This is a good idea. And I'm, you know, that mindset of like, he hasn't paid for a WWE ticket in 50 years. Like, I, this is like, of course I know. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I was arguing, like, and not dropping it with Vince freaking McMahon over WrestleMania. Like, who the hell am I to be doing that? <laughs> <laughs> um, so like that, like, like finally, like I took a step back and then, you know, I went to his hotel. I knocked, I apologized. He was very cool. He was like, no, I love to be challenged. Um, then I had a talking to afterwards by some others being like, yeah, um, don't do that again. <laughs> Not don't apologize. <laughs> like, don't like, you know, like yeah. be a ass challenging him. There's a, there's a time to like fight for your ideas and everything. Again, going back to that whole, you know, the fine line between, you know, challenging and being respectful and all that. But, you know, at a certain point, you got to recognize like, you know, he's the, he's the boss. It's his vision. It's his company. Now, even if you don't agree with it, and there's been plenty of times I didn't agree with it, plenty of times I did agree with it, but now you just got to make this as, as best good as possible and put all your efforts into making it good, even if you personally don't think it works. And there are plenty of times too, by the way, where, <laughs> you know, like anything, where I'd step back and go, oh my God, the crazy old bastard was right. Um, and plenty of times where it's like, ha I knew I was right, you know, too. But <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it wasn't the, 
social dynamic of interacting with the wrestlers and, you know, introducing yourself and hanging out with them after the show to me was a lot more of a uh, challenge than being in the room with Vince pitching ideas. I never felt nervous or, or challenged when I was doing that. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED highlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. Over time, which who in the locker room helped make you feel comfortable in the social scenes that sort of accompanied the job? Was it The Rock? Was he not around that much socially? Who Was there anyone else who really specifically sort of said, hey, you're my guy, someone you felt comfortable hanging out with at different times? Yeah, well, you know, Rock was was different you know um from the get-go as far as like and again i write about it um but like there there's a mindset and it's not a wrong mindset um you know with a lot of the you know this is like november 1999 so it's like smack dab in the middle of the attitude era wwe is like taking over the ratings war there are huge iconic stars and a lot of those iconic stars are iconic stars uh, and certainly don't need the help of some, you know, 26 year old alleged comic book fan, you know, helping them. Um, but Rock always had this mindset of like, listen, I don't know this guy, but I'll give him a chance and see what he's got. I'll be over regardless. You know, I have nothing to lose. So if he can help me, um, great. I'll use that 
weapon in my arsenal. I don't care. That's uh, it just will make me look better. And if he absolutely sucks, uh, then I just, you know, will say I got it and don't need to work with him from there. So that was always like a really, really, you know, that like kind of broke the ice and made me feel comfortable, super comfortable, um, you know, right away. And from, you know, from a like hanging out after the show perspective, you know, I, you know, Ed, Edge Christian and I um, were all the same age. Um, we, we had similar, you know, tastes and similar, you know, wise ass kind of, you know, mindset. Um, so that was, you know, in terms of like socializing after the show and I didn't really like do a full ton of it, but that was, you know, those were the people edge Christian Jericho, um, you know, that, that I found myself, you know, socializing with afterwards, um, you know, as an only non-Canadian, uh, they made me feel welcome, um, but it was still, yeah, I remember, I remember the WrestleMania 2000, the fight with Vince and everything, like afterwards, it was in Anaheim, there was a Dave and Buster's there, and Christian was like, um, yeah, I have an appearance, can you go to Dave and Buster's, and, you know, with the Hardys, and Edge, and, and uh, you know, I think Lita was there, and like, my wife's going to be there, she doesn't know, like, a ton of people, you know, can you just, you know, go with her, and everything else, and, um, you know, ultimately, I completely abandoned uh, Christian's wife so I could win prizes. Um, <laughs> I saw a prize that I, I needed to get. And had to. So, yeah. So I'm like, yeah, you're fine. You've got, you know, your, your poppers or whatever the orders are. So <laughs> Christian gave me a lot of shit for that. After. <laughs> you know, so you could win yourself a toy. <laughs> you abandoned. Um, but yeah, it was, it, you know, we were all the same age and the same, you know, movies, mindset. Uh, Hurricane was another one. Um, At know. this point, was Rocky in '99? Uh-huh. When Rocky's—he's already—he is blowing up at that exact time. Was he still one of the boys, or or was there already a difference in terms of how many commitments he had, appearances, etc.? No. Well, first of all, when I started, he had not done a single movie yet. He had not done Saturday Night Live yet. He had done, um, you know, some some television pops. As far as like, I think like that '70s show where he played his dad. I think he was on uh, the USA show, The Net, based on the Sandra Bullock movie. Um, and I think he he fought uh, Seven of Nine in a in a Star Trek episode. But you know, he was completely you know one of the boys in the locker room. He didn't like have like a separate locker room or change in a different place or anything like that. Um, yeah, same deal, you know, in the locker room, uh, you know, he loves to drive. So driving between towns wasn't an issue, you know, like none of the talent had their own buses or anything back then. Right. So different world. Um, yeah. It was a different world. And yeah, it was, you know, on the cusp, you could see, you know, uh, especially when the host SNL, like right before WrestleMania 2000, you know, the idea of a WWE star back then, you know, obviously Hulk Hogan and Mr. T in 1985 aside um, was gigantic and to bring on Vince and, and Hunter and, and uh, big show and McFoley and everything. It's like a huge, huge event, but he was, um, you know, easily like same one of the boys. And when, even when he goes back to WWE, you know, obviously it's like a different mindset now, you know, anytime like a returning superstar, um, you know, like, like rock Cena, Austin, you know, they, they, WWE takes care of them. Well, they have their own, you know, quote unquote locker room. 
Um, it's kind of like backstage when we do vignettes, everyone would have their own locker room. It's like, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> like here's the, here's the uh, superstar locker room for, you know, the Mountie or something. Right. In reality, there's a Brock locker room. There's a Roman locker room. Cena yeah. will get one, but that's basically there's everybody it. else. Yeah. That's yeah. basically, but he always goes and like interacts with, with all the talent, the boys, you know, it's his part. It's, you know, the narrative of it's in his blood and he loves it is not a false narrative. It is a very true one. What was your relationship like with Austin? Uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about the rivals that aired on A&E last week was them sort of getting into Austin kind of looking over his shoulder uh, at, at Rock quite a bit and realizing that the Rock was on his heels um, what was, did you work, did you write stuff for Austin as well? When you, would you guys all work together? Did he have any thoughts of you being sort of quote the rocks guy? What was your relationship like with Steve? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a great question. Um, and it was, it's really, really, it's an interesting tale. Um, because when I started, as you guys know, the timeline, I did TVs November 1st and 2nd. Uh, I flew back to Los Angeles we're in my, by the way, in my apartment in Los Angeles, I had a, uh, like any cool 26 year old living in LA would have, I had an inflatable stone cold Steve Austin bopping, you know, uh, they had a lot of inflatable. W- it, was a, it was a must have. It was a must yeah. okay, We yeah. get it. Yeah. Um, but when I got back, Tommy Blacha, who was the other writer at the time, gave me a call and was like, Hey, uh, you know, great set of TVs. Uh, it's going to be really fun. By the way, Steve's got to get surgery. He may never wrestle again. Anyways, I'll uh, see you next week. And I was like, wait, what? Um, so as you know, like Survivor Series 99, um, you know, we did the who ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin angle because he had to go get surgery and, you know, take care of himself. Um, so he was out for, you know, many, many months. So like, you know, of course, like when I first, first started, I was only with Steve Steve and I were in the same, you know, vicinity for maybe a couple of weeks or so. And then the angle where he was taken out and then he was gone. And while he was gone, you know, that's when I was, you know, feeling comfortable getting integrated into the show and, you know, the behind the stage scene. So when he came back, um, it was a very, it was a little tense, um, especially because at that time, and again, this is, I'll, you know, I keep saying it's in, it's it's written about, but you know, it is in greater detail. Um, you know, Vince was on a mindset of the company had since gone public. Um, Vince wanted a little bit more, like, and maybe SNL in two thousand kind of influence. I don't know, but it's kind of like we're a TV show, just like any other TV show. Every other TV show doesn't have stars going out there and freaking improvising. So, especially, you know relating to stockholders, I want to know what my talents are saying out there. Mm-hmm. So Brian, go work with Steve and hand him this script. Oh boy. <laughs> Which is like literally <laughs> the last thing Steve wants. The last thing Steve needs, by the way, because as you guys know, there's some, there's some talents like, you know, I started really roughly at the same time as Kurt Angle and, and Kurt, you know, Kurt's like, Hey, listen, man, anything you could do to write something up, I'll memorize it. You know, I'll, uh, I'll perform it. Great. That would be a huge help to me. 
And obviously, Kurt, as he evolved, you know, would later, you know, not need to rely word for word on stuff. God, that's so impressive, though, that yeah, I'm, I'm almost more impressed by that because yeah. I thought you were going to tell me that Kurt came up with it on his own early on. From the second he showed up, it seemed like he was comfortable cutting a promo. Oh, he, he well, first of all, he's a machine and he's just a natural at everything he does. But he was one of those guys. There's not many, um, but he was one of those guys, especially starting. You know, he basically started at Survivor Series 99 you know, it had been developmental for a short period of time, but as far as on screen WWE, the vignettes that preceded him and then, you know, his in ring appearance was then. So we were kind of like in the same boat. Kurt was actually another person, yeah, that I was, you know, having fun socializing with as well because we were just two nerds, brand new, not knowing what the hell we were stepping into. But Kurt was like that. Steve, Steve's the greatest talker of all time. Steve doesn't need, you know, some guy handing him a script. Um, and, and the irony is, is like, that was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. It's like I don't <laughs> Steve Austin, a promo, a promo that yes, part of it I've written a lot of it. Vince, you know, would, would review and would write himself. Um, and Steve coming back and coming back and seeing this new landscape with, you know, rock on top, triple H on top, twice as many shows as there were before in terms of exposure, SmackDown, Raw, SmackDown, you know, SmackDown had started when he was still there, but only for a few months. Um, it was like this new world to him where I'm sure he was like, what the hell? This is not the WWF I left. Right. Uh, just a few months ago. I mean, yeah. relatively recently. <laughs> and who the hell is this guy? Um, so I kind of think like he saw that. And obviously he saw how I was very, very close with Rock as well. Kind of like, I think there was like a, there was a little bit of like hesitancy and what the hell is this? And I'm kind of in this very weird position where I want to make Steve happy. I'm a huge Steve fan. I love Stone Cold. You know, I'm like, I remember like, like all of you, like calling my friends giddily during the time he attacked Vince in the hospital with the bedpan yeah. and, and all the things he did in his match with Brett at WrestleMania 13 and everything. So the last thing I want to do is like, I so desperately want Steve Austin to be my friend, but <laughs> every, every molecule in my being is literally the opposite of what he, you know, what he represents in terms of like what the wrestling world should be. He got himself, I mean, granted, yes, WWF and, and, and everything, you know, the entire team, you know, created angles that, um, you know, were working in sync with, with Austin getting over, but Austin himself, you know, got himself over more than anybody. Um, and, and it's not like he was Hulk Hogan and came in. I mean, like his stories, we, you know, from the ringmaster getting cut by WCW before that, you know, cutting these amazing promos in ECW. And then, you know, by sheer force of will getting himself over to the most, you know, arguably the biggest star in WWE history. Um, you know, what is this guy coming to me with a piece of paper talking about naked Midian? Like, what the hell is this? <laughs> um, like, I don't blame him. And by the way, in the book, I'll be, you know, I cop to it. You know, I'm the one who proposed uh, Austin versus Brock that led to, you know, uh, let's say a fraction. A fra what's the word? Um, it, it didn't lead to good things. In the, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was a good idea, though, man. I'll, I'll die on that hill that he should have faced Brock. Well, you know, again, again, the story is, you know, at the time, this was supposedly going to be a brand split that was a true brand split. It was our first brand split um, where it was like 
these guys are not going to be facing each other anytime soon. Um, the idea at the time, too, as we were you know, talking it out with Vince in the, in the creative meeting, was to really use it as a springboard for this Austin Eddie Guerrero angle that we were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, because Eddie was going to do a run in and cost Steve the match. You know, we had done stuff like that in the past. You know, we did something somewhat similar, you know, with Austin <laughs> causing a distraction that led to Hurricane beating Rock. Um, and, you know, obviously I know Hurricane versus The Rock is not a future main event and the biggest match and, you know, potentially in WWE history. But at the time it was like, we can, yeah, let's, let's, we're not going to have this for years. When we do it, we're going to treat it as if it's the biggest match in existence. We can afford to do this match and have this, you know, with a, you know, Zabada finish and, and eventually Vince change it from a finish to a non-finish as far as a disqualification. Um, let's do this as a big, big, like our last hurrah kickoff before we truly split the brands uh, and do this. But I think everything in, in, you know, my part included, because, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't know any better, when Steve gave an interview at the time to WWF magazine and literally said, I don't need some kid straight out of sitcom school handing me a piece of paper, <laughs> I kind of deduced he might have been talking about myself at the time. Um, <laughs> did it ever get better? Did you did you ever develop a rapport with him in any real way? Yeah, and I'm so, so happy about that um, because, again, I admire Steve so much and, you know, he is the greatest. And, you know, eventually – that's, that's kind of like, you know, working there so many years, you know, you just kind of rub off on people, <laughs> you know, essentially. Yeah. I think there was like a moment where, where, and by the way, Steve was dealing with a lot of things, both professionally, personally at the time, physically, he had a lot of stuff going on. So it wasn't as simple as like, I'm back and I don't like the writer who's handing me promos. It was like, a you know, he'd be the first to admit there's a lot of stuff, um, you know, going on in his life at the time. Um, and then eventually, you know, Eventually, yeah. I mean, like Steve is so like if you guys know Steve at all, he's so cool. Like you cool. want him to be your friend so badly. Um, <laughs> and ultimately, yeah, the ice thought, you know, especially when he wasn't working anymore. But even if he was working, you know, I think he would be like, yeah, son of a bitch, a little bastard hung around. And, you know, maybe he's not all bad, you know, like that type of thing where, you know, and then I would see him and he'd be like, hey, how's it going, kid? You know, like that kind of, you know, big hug. Um, what do you got for me? You know, and I'd always temper this with like, this doesn't have to be word for word. Put it in your own voice. Do what you want to do. But, you know, as Steve, you know, you know, like, uh, you know, the years passed, we we definitely are. Yeah, I, I, we'd see us right now. It would be not icy or awkward. I think it would be great. It has been great, you know, and I've saw, saw him at WrestleMania 30 and any other guest appearance and that type of thing. Uh, and I think it was just like a matter of, you know, mutual uh, trust and just getting to know somebody. If uh, we I, I could we could talk to you for nine hours, but we're only going to talk to you for a, a few more minutes. If uh, I just want to throw a few names at you and and just give me either a few sentences on on what they were like, what your relationship was like, what you thought of them as a talent experience, a funny story. Um, but obviously you were around some of the absolute, uh, best during an era that we all are so fond of. Um, what, what can you say about Eddie Guerrero? Eddie was, I mean, every time someone brings up Eddie, it's always, I mean, I've never heard anyone not say how fucking awesome he was. 
And it is like, that is a hundred percent the truth. And what surprised me about Eddie is I didn't know much. I, I knew obviously of Eddie. Um, I, I wasn't a huge WCW viewer. I did not realize like how fucking amazing he was as a performer. He's funny as an actor as, as you know, like we were, we were able to do like this big, it was like, um, I think someone posted it online because it was recently like the 20 year anniversary of it. This promo between rock and Eddie, you know, that we all worked on together. And, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, it's typical, <laughs> you know, there's some attitude era stuff that, you know, on paper might not seem like the most, uh, you know, politically correct type of promo between uh, rock and Eddie at the time, the standard for, you know, back then, but the, the, the idea of like, was Eddie, um, you know, was talking about how his kid has the rock posters on the wall and how, how, uh, you know, it just kills him that, you know, his, his, his children aren't idolizing him like they idolize the rock. And Eddie came up with all of that. And if you rewatch the promo, like he delivers of it with so much passion and so much fire. It's like, I honestly think Eddie, Eddie, if, if he, you know, if he wanted to go into acting back then, I think he would have crushed it because he was just so amazing and talented. Um, he's just, just a, an amazing individual. What about, uh, I, we, I don't get stories about her often and I'm just curious to, to know about her, you know, personality wise, what was China like? Um, you know, I, I got to work with China a little bit. Um, I didn't work a ton, you know, it's interesting you know, we all kind of like, as, as I, as I developed there and we hired more writers, you know, it's like being a writer is kind of like being an agent a little bit. And I don't mean like a wrestling agent, like certain slaughter, like being like a Hollywood agent where you have your clients. Yep. That you're representing for and trying to yeah. get good stuff. Yeah. For. So the show would come out like, okay, I will, uh, cover the rock and Jericho and Kurt and edge and Christian and, and Al Snow and Steve Blackman and that kind of stuff. Um, and there was another writer at the time who mainly worked with uh, Eddie and Eddie in China. Um, so I didn't, you know, get a chance to work with her all that closely. Um, but I know she, you know, she was passionate and had a passion and a lot of <laughs> was was willing, really willing to do anything. It's like, oh, we're going to do an angle where Chris Jericho ties you in the back and breaks your fingers with a hammer. <laughs> Great. Where do I sign up? You know, it's uh, <laughs> It's pretty cool. What about uh, one person I know you really love in this business and then eventually got to work with is Roddy Piper. I, I haven't gotten to that part in the book yet where I'm guessing you, you really get to interact with him, but how did that relationship play out for you? Yeah, that was, so that was like, you know, such a huge unknown and hold my breath moment for me because I had, I mean, I literally had Roddy Piper poster in my bedroom. I know that like that's the everyone says it, but I I had it. I had he was my favorite uh of all time, you know, to the point where like I remember I was at Madison Square Garden during the live Piper's pit with him and Bruno in the 80s, where he, you know, ended up beating the shit out of Bruno <laughs> with a chair and everything, you know, and Bruno fighting back. But afterwards, like I hunted down the Usher. That's when Ushers would like go up and down the aisles with souvenirs and and I'm like, I need a hot rod shirt. And my friend's mom looked at me like I was a future psychopath. Um, <laughs> so I really wanted to stick the landing when it came to Roddy. And I know Roddy 
is, you know, like Steve, in a sense, is as old school as they come, did not need, you know, the very thought of a writer writing for Roddy, you know, is blasphemous. Um, you know, and, and I really, really wanted to make sure, like, like I had made a good impression. And I got to credit Bruce Pritchard um, because Bruce, and I don't know what would happen if he didn't do this, but like Bruce smartened him up in the sense of, uh, I don't mean smartened him up, but, you know, basically said, hey, listen, there's this kid. He, I know how you feel about writers, but he idolizes you. You know, this is in WrestleMania uh, 18 before he did his run in in the uh, on the McMahon Hogan match. Um, he, you know, this is going to be the thrill of his life to be able to meet you. So I know, you know, again, you're you're feeling sometimes about writers and management, but this is a good kid, um, and he hates to be touched. So make sure you absolutely TSA pat him down and. <laughs> so do as much molesting, you know, whatever as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that was like when I when I met Roddy. Um, that's the first thing he did. Hey, kid, nice to meet you. And he's like putting his arms around me and you know doing an excessive pat down, you know, with Bruce laughing. <laughs> but he was like, it was so cool to uh, to be able to work with him because you know it could have gone south very very easily. Um, and I never wanted to overstate my bounds, but that was truly the moment, especially Vince in that moment was like, I want to know literally everything that is coming out of Roddy's mouth before he says it. And Roddy being like, yeah, I don't, I don't need no scripts. I'm, I'm going to be good. I'll, I'll see you. We'll, we'll go out there in the ring. Let me know what happens. You know, so <laughs> that was the fine line that I had to work with, with Roddy, you know, and also wanting to make sure that I still like never pissed him off. You know, the story that I had is like I was assigned to be the writer for WrestleMania um, Goes Hollywood 21, the Piper's Pit with Austin and uh, Roddy. And that was a huge challenge because, you know, neither of those guys, you know, are of the God, if I only had a writer, maybe I'll get over one day. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so that was a challenge, uh, you know, sitting down with them, working with them. And and my mindset was like, hey, listen, because we have literally nothing written day of the show you know a lot of you know it's kind of incomprehensible to think about now but back then it was like okay it's going to be a piper's pit and ultimately austin and roddy will get into it carlito will come out insult both of them and then they'll be stunners that's that's all we had but we didn't have any of the content um so roddy is just like yeah what if i just slap the shit out of him like um okay and then Austin, like, oh, what if I slap the shit out of him? <laughs> right. I guess that's cool, too. Yeah. So we, you know, that was a really fun, you know, it was surreal, like sitting and catering in Los Angeles and in Peter's, you know, you know, L.A., that's when everyone comes out of the woodwork and has a backstage pass. It's complete bedlam um, and pandemonium. Has it always been like that? Like, I was going to ask you how much backstage has changed, because to me, even over the last five years, it went from not seeing that many people to tours and people walk. There's a, it feels like there's a lot more people. And I imagine from 99, it's completely different. Yeah. There's a lot, lot more people. Um, but even then for that day, WrestleMania goes Hollywood in LA WrestleMania 21, there was a lot more people than normal. So, you know, we're sitting at our table and everything. And ultimately like long story short of it is Vince is like, okay, I got your bullet points. It's all good. Just I only ask you of one thing, make sure Roddy doesn't curse. 
Right. Sponsors here. The I, the world is watching us. Make sure he doesn't curse. And I, I got it. I will tell him. And so I told Roddy that he's like, yeah, I got you, kid. No problem. You can trust me. And Roddy goes out there. He's cutting his promo. Everything's going great. I'm in gorilla position backstage on headset. Uh, you know, Austin's pacing, ready to go out. And Roddy starts kind of doing this little improvise, like, who's the biggest rebel in WWE history? Oh, okay. And Austin. And he goes, that's bullshit. And then <laughs> as soon as he saw that, it was like Vince, I see like 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 the old like update myself, the old Legion of Doom in the swamp, the device, you know, uh rising, slowly rising. <laughs> I'm not a comic book yeah. guy. Um, that's how Vince's head was slowly rising from his place in gorilla with the headset on screaming. Did you know he was going to say that? I'm like, the man's crazy. Of not. Right? <laughs> um, so he's like, damn it, Brian, you know, slamming the headset down, pencils flying everywhere. And so, yeah, I like the, the promo itself was great. And, but I had to talk to Roddy afterwards because he's like, well, what's wrong, kid? You don't look like Roddy. You know how we had that talk? You kind of said you wouldn't say bullshit or any curse word. Well, you kind of screamed it in the middle of the ring. And he's like, I don't know if he's working me. I'm 90% sure he was working me, but 10% like a little bit vague where he's like, yeah, I guess I did say that. <laughs> but is bullshit really a curse? <laughs> and, exactly. Know, like it is top six curse. Yeah, yes. yeah it's up there. It's up 100% there. One hundred percent is is like all right. Well, I'll see you at the after party, kid. You know, and I, I didn't want to. You know, what am I going to do? I can't turn back time. So, uh, but yeah, I was, I was, you know, I'm so thrilled that um, I got to work and got to know Roddy as a human being. Uh, SGG, I know you wanted to ask Brian something about Young Rock before we got up out of here. I did. Now, a couple of questions jumped out at me at, as we had this conversation. Now, do you get a kick out of, because we, we saw you introduce Stone Cold as a character on this past season. Spoiler alert for anybody who isn't watching Young Rock, but you should be watching Young Rock. Do you get a sort of a kick out of now that young sitcom writer is writing for Stone Cold and is literally putting words in his mouth because he's a <laughs> character on the show? Yeah, well, I mean, well, it's funny you mention that because that particular episode is the episode myself, Dwayne, and Hiram wrote. Um, you know, we, you know, we're producers on the show, but we actually produced and wrote that particular episode. So yeah. Um, Luke Hawks who played stone cold, you know, he, he, you know, pretty much nailed it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a little, I, I did as we were shooting that scene in a locker room in Australia somewhere, um, note the irony of <laughs> now 26 year old sitcom writer, now 48 year old, whatever sitcom writer, uh, writing lines for the character of Stone Cold, for sure. And then you mentioned agents and clients, and a name that didn't come up yet was Paul Heyman. Now, um, he's been doing interviews, and, and every time The Rock's name comes up, he makes a point of saying, you know, The Rock is is one of the greats. I respect him. He's from that Samoan family. He has that lineage. But if he runs into Roman Reigns, we're just going to smash him, thrash him, and make him like everybody else. Now, as The Rock's unofficial mouthpiece, do you have a response that you want to send back to Heyman? Because, I mean, The Rock is seems far too diplomatic to get into the weeds himself. But, I mean, if Roman is sending his, his Jewish wise man and we have The Rock's Jewish wise <laughs> man here, I feel like it's only right we, we send one back. I've never heard that nickname for you, Brian. I think it works quite well. Well, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, Greg, you'll you'll love the um, chapter in the in the book where uh, Paul and I get into an actual slap fight and get suspended from WWE. <laughs> that was kind of, we, uh, yes. There's a there's a long, and by the way, I get I got along great with Paul now. Um, well, that means you won the fight. <laughs> Well, yeah, we won the fight. I mean, I don't know. You know that 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 gif of Jerry and George, you know, kind of yeah. waving their. <laughs> yeah. I think that was, you know, that was it. Wasn't exactly, um, you know, uh, Tyson Holyfield. Um, no one's ears were bitten off. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no. I mean, look, um, you know, Roman is is amazing. He, but the stuff he's doing now, by the way, is is um, absolutely you know, spellbinding, really. I mean, I'm so glad that, you know, that, you know, let's just say like that they turned him heel, you know, it was one of those things. It was time. He, yeah, it was. Did you, know, you ever push to get Cena to turn heel? I'm sorry. I have to ask. Oh, you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay. There was, there was time. We all, we all did. And that was one of those things to, to you know, to, and I'll get back to, 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 to Heyman thing in a second, but like, um, you know, we, we did push plenty of times for John to turn heel. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of reasoning that going into it, Vince was tempted. There was a, he, like, he oh. was very tempted a couple of times, but ultimately, you know, there was like the, well, yes, there was like the merch and there was like everything John does. John himself, John himself said, you know, when, 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 you know, approached with the idea, he was like, you know, and this is what's so great about John. He's like, all right, listen, you want to turn me heel. That's what the company is. Vince, that's what you guys want to do. Um, I'll do it. But just know I will go full bore heel. It's going to be none of that. Like, oh, he's a fun heel. He's a cool heel. He's a winking at the audience heel. He is going to go full heel. Um, that's what he wants to do. And which would be it would have been awesome. Yeah. But I think Vince, you know, like it's like, hey, man, John is, you know, basically captaining the ship here. There's the issues of who would he work with, who would replace him as a top baby face, merchandise, everything else that John does, you know, off screen. So ultimately, Vince didn't want to pull the trigger on that. And I think, you know, I think Vince, I think, you know, in his mind, I think he's like, I made the right decision because John has been, you know, the standard bearer. And I think for a long time, that was his mindset with Roman. Like, I need Roman to be this guy. But Roman is Roman and John is John. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately... At, you know, I don't know, you know, if we, we date it like two months post suffering succotash or whenever we, uh, you know, want to call it that, when, uh, you know, in the attempt to, you know, I, I could tell it, that was a little bit of like, oh, let's have Roman tell stories and have like have him because uh, I, I was consulting WWE at the time. I saw suffering succotash in the script. And I was just like, you know, sending out flare guns like, no, don't <laughs> yeah. have him say that. There's no good way you could say that. Um, but ultimately, yeah, you know, like they they did pull the trigger on Roman um, and, you know, Roman turned heel. He's been amazing. And if Rock ever saw him, he'd slap the shit out of him. We all there know you that. go. Brian Gord said it. All right. And what was the um, I just want to let you finish what your point was on Paul before I let you go. Oh, no, no. It's just like, um, you know, th there was no real point on Paul. Like, like Paul, Paul is Paul's, you know. He is one unique individual, future Hall of Famer, and never ceases to not entertain me on screen. I think, um, I think it would be a horrific mistake 
on, on a historic level you can't possibly imagine. But if there was ever a tag team match of me and Rock versus Heyman and uh, Roman, um, that would be that would be amusing, um, you know, in terms of like the mix of sheer greatness and sheer awfulness combined into one attraction, um, you know, but, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be down for it. And you teased the the Rock Roman encounter on Young Rock too. Now, obviously, you don't have any insider information, but is that you saying that that's something that you want to see at WrestleMania? Because, I mean, you it airs on the show. Hey, if the, if the stars aligned and it ever happened, I think it would be an amazing, amazing attraction. You know, um, I don't know. I have no ins- I literally do have no insight to, you know, whether it will happen one day or not. But if it ever did, I mean, like the fan in me would, would absolutely freak the hell out. I'd love it. And 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 you would assume that The Rock would want to put a bow on his WWE career, no? Like, do you do you see him just fading out and nothing ever happens again? He goes to the Hall of Fame and that's it? Or do you think, knowing his passion for the business, he'll want to, you know, look up at the lights, as they say? Well, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know if he'd want to look up in the lights or not. <laughs> um, you know. Okay, look down at the map, whatever. <laughs> I don't know if anyone is like, I can't wait to look up at the lights. Um but, you know, I don't know. I mean, all I can say is this, like his last match was with uh, Eric Rowan in the impromptu match. Yep. At WrestleMania with the Wyatt family. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily like the big bow at the end of the career. There have been worse, you know, ones. There are worse finales to have than setting a you know WrestleMania time record in front of like how many thousands, you know, thousands upon thousands of people in the world watching and everything. But, you know, I think ultimately that's up to Rock in terms of what he wants to do with that. Um, I could certainly, you know, again, of course, the fan in me would love to see the huge attraction, which technically speaking, you could say he already did, you know, in terms of passing the torch to John, um, you know, even though John had been obviously well established. You know, I use that. that, That's the phrase, you know, Hogan passed the torch to Rock, even though. Rock had been, you know, wrestling and on right. top for years. And so, he passed the torch twice too, right? He passed it to Warrior, yeah. then came back, took it again, and then passed it back <laughs> to the Rock. So I mean, a lot of torch passing, a lot of torch passing. <laughs> the torch oh, goes God. around. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brian, thank you for your time, and honestly, for everyone out there, I I do not hawk much on cheap eat. Uh, <laughs> this this Brian Gewertz book is fantastic. Uh, you will love it, Brian. Congratulations! Yeah, I'm excited oh, to get I, my copy of that book. We, yeah, we love to, we love so to do more. Awesome. Thank you both. And then I went to makeup and like sat in front of the mirror a little bit and got myself together. Also, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I would like to introduce... Shout out to that guy, Greg. Red Hart is the greatest professional wrestler in the history of the art form. Midge.